Colossians chapter 4. This finishes up uh, the book of Colossians. Thank you so much for praying for me while I was in revival in Nederland. We had nine saved and 12 recommitments, and it, it was a glorious uh, three nights there of revival. And then I preached to 131 preachers on Tuesday, and nobody threw any uh, eggs or anything, and uh, we got out of there alive. Uh, uh, the, the high point of Tuesday at the pastor's conference is they feed everybody a ribeye steak with baked potato and salad and all that. And old Don Witt said, man, I can't wait to get a hold of that steak. And I am not lying to you. They, they, there was some ribeye steaks wouldn't hardly go on the plate. They were good. And I said, well, Don, I, the problem is I'm going to preach before lunch. And we may not be able to stay for lunch. We may be on our way out uh, in a cart. Uh, but anyway, we didn't. We, we stayed for lunch. While I was preaching, Mary uh, Tucker called. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's always great. She's got perfect timing. Did Bob tell you that? <laughs> uh, one of our friends was sitting there listening to me preach. And he got a text from Mary. And I said, Mary's always on time. I don't care what she does. She's always on time. So Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And this finishes up uh, the uh, book of Colossians. We'll get through with it here uh, today. I'm not going to read all of that. We, you can read it on your own, 7, all the way down through verse uh, 18. Uh, whenever you think of final thoughts, and these are like final thoughts. That's what uh, he's given us here, Paul is. And uh, I, I think about those final thoughts on cemetery. I love to go through cemeteries and read what the... Uh, tombstones say the final thoughts and I just jotted down a couple of good ones here this one's in uh, Vermont in memory of Anna here lies the body of our Anna done to death by a banana it wasn't the fruit that laid her low but the skin of the thing that made her go I tell you that was that was out there and then here this one's in memory of Beza Wood in Winslow Maine here lies one wood enclosed in another wood, one within the other. The outer wood is very good, but we cannot praise the other. And uh, then uh, Dodge City, Kansas. He played five aces, now he's playing the harp. I mean, that's pretty well direct, isn't it? Uh, and, uh, well, that, that last one here is one of my favorite, in memory of Mary Ford. And it says, Here lieth Mary, the wife of John Ford, we hope her soul is gone to the Lord. But if for hell she has changed this life, she would rather be there than be John Ford's wife. Now, I say that's about as direct as you can get right there. Uh, we come to the close of the, of the study of the book of Colossians. Paul doesn't do a, a lot of epitaphs or catchy cliches or anything. He just offers his own final commitments. And then we'll see in the last part of the chapter, he lists 10 men and what they've done for him, what he calls them to do. And uh, if, if the book of Colossians would have been a journal, these, this chapter here would have been just the final thoughts of that journal. It's a very end of it. We've covered a lot of ground here. <clears throat> We've been reminded over and over again since we started the book of Colossians that in Jesus... All we ever face is he's all we ever need. 
I mean, when you get alone and there's no one but you and Jesus, that's all you need. That's all you need. He is sufficient. He's not only sufficient for the past, he's sufficient for the present, and he's sufficient for the future. And he set all of those things up. Now, he said, there, there are three final words here I just threw out here, walk, talk, and chalk. And there's three principles that he leaves us. The walk is, first of all, it ought to define our life, how we walk. He said in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Walk in wisdom. So he defines how we ought to be walking. So there's an exercise of responsibility that we need to put forth here, and it lies upon every one of us. The walk is a specific way to a specific group. We're to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. So if we're walking with the Lord, we've got a great responsibility. The responsibility spoken here is not just to the Lord, but it's to the lost world also. And it very well may be the reason we're not seeing more people saved today is because we're not really walking in a way of wisdom that reaches the lost world. But it's very important. He said, toward them that are without. That's truly those who have not trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. I want to tell you, if you're here tonight, your sins, man, I, I, you know, boy, we could go back. I remember just in, in uh, uh, when, when I was at ETBU, I, I changed my major uh, to business. And it really, uh, I'll just be honest with you, the only reason I changed my major to business is because I thought I had sinned so bad in college that God would never use me anywhere. Never. But somewhere along the line, I discovered that there was a, a lamb of God, a perfect lamb that hung on a cross, that took a crown, that had nails in his hands, a spear in his side. And I want to tell you, the devil now, I'm just testifying, the devil will wear you out over your sin. And he don't want you to forget about that sin. But I tell you, if you're here tonight and you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you've been transformed from a, a way of darkness, a walk of darkness into the light, and you've been blind, but now you can see, you lost, but now you're found. I want to tell you something. You can lift your hand and say, the, the, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He has clothed us in his righteousness. It's not anything we've done to go to heaven. It's not anything we've deserved. Now, what he's saying here, if we have been transformed from darkness to light, we owe it to the people who are in darkness to try to get them out of light, out of, out of darkness into light. C.T. Studd said this. He's a great old theologian. He said a lot of people want to live within the, the, the sound of church bells and chapel choirs. He said, but I want to live and run a rescue shop within a block of hell. Well, I want to tell you, see, if we're not careful, we, we, don't, we don't think about those people out here who are lost. We're just huddling in here having a great time. But he said we're responsible, and it must be exercised, our great responsibility toward those who are not Christians. Now, we, we need to worry about the impression that we make on those people. 
Therefore, we're to live in light of the fact that what we do and how we do it makes an impact on that lost person, an unsaved person. Uh, many times for the Christian to do, not, to do right is sometimes it's not enough. We've got to do right in such a way that it looks right. Now, I'm not talking about putting on a show. I'm talking about living a Christian godly life that will encourage people and not turn them off. Mm. Often it's not what we say, but it's how we say it that offends others. Now, I'm talking to myself here. Don't, don't be taking the blame for this. I'm talking to me. This is me. Uh, it's not always what we do, but how we do it that leaves a cloud of doubt about us and behind us. And so particularly with classmates and, and fellow employees and friends and family who don't know the Lord, the Russian writer Maxim Gorky said this, when he, when he was a child, his father died, so he and his mother went to live with his grandparents. His grandfather was a very religious man, but he was stern, he was irritable, he was often cruel. His mother, on the other hand, was religious, but she was kind and gentle and understanding. And Gorky said when he saw his mother and his grandfather kneeling side by side in church, he couldn't believe they were praying to the same God. He said, I was an older teenager before I realized there wasn't two gods. I thought my grandfather had a God he prayed to, and my mother had a God she prayed to. And the one that he prayed to was cruel and vindictive, and the other loving in forgiveness. Boy, it's kind of a scary thought to think about how much damage we've done to lost people who don't want to have anything to do with us. <clears throat> Robert Ingers Ingersoll, I know many of y'all have heard his name. He was a great atheist and fought uh, the Bible and all took a staunch stand against God and biblical principles. He was notorious, but he had a godly aunt who lived for the Lord. And uh, not long before he died, he sent her a copy of one of his books that was attacking the Bible. And on the leaf of the inside of that book, he wrote this. If all Christians lived like Aunt Sarah, this book would have never been written. Mm. Now, it's not enough that we need to have a burden to reach lost people. We, we also need to have an attitude that will reach lost people too. Uh, I don't want to give no names because <laughs> y'all know who I'm talking about. But I was with a preacher, let's see, yeah, it was last month sometime. We were at a service on the inside, it, not around here. It was down in southeast Texas. We were on the service on the inside of the fellowship hall. And during lunch, this lady came in. Now, she wasn't dressed immodestly. She, she was very modest. She just, you could tell the clothes she had on were just ragged. And, I mean, she didn't have nothing. Had a pair of boots on. She wore a pair of boots with a dress. And the pastor was sitting there at the table with me and, and Brother Herman and two or three other pastors. And he said, and I'm not knocking him because I've done the same thing. He said, I don't know what else to do. We've already helped that lady one time. I'm telling you, we're not going to help her again. That's just not right. And I mean, he just, 
And the lady just, she walked right up to the stand, Brother Allen. And she said, I just got a minute. I came by. I saw the cars. I just wanted to stop and say, thank you for helping me last week. You'll never know what a blessing it was. And turned and walked right back out that door. Woo! You talk about eating crow now. You talk about eating crow. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> well, he, he was a mumbling, I'll tell you what. <laughs> but, but we've all done the same thing. Or I have. I thought, you know, enough is enough. No, no, it's really not. Then, then not only verse 5 says that there's a, a responsibility we've got, but listen to what the last part of verse, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now listen to this, redeeming the time. Everybody in every church I ever talked to, we believe the Lord's coming soon. Well, we're not acting like it. I mean, we walk by people all day long and never even tell them about Jesus. And yet we believe the Lord's coming soon. We got own family members that we won't even talk about Jesus to. Well, I don't want to stir them up. I don't want to get them out. Well, what are they going to do when Jesus comes back and they're left here? You reckon they'll be stirred up then? You reckon they, they wouldn't say, why in the world didn't you go the second mile and the third mile and take a little bit of my bull and my junk and tell me that Jesus loved me? He said, redeeming the time. In other words, the word redeeming here is a market term, which really means to buy out or to corner the market on it, to buy up everything we can. In modern terminology, he's saying here that we ought to be making the most of it. My daddy would say we need to make hay while it's day. That's what he would say or would have said. Now, our lives are filled with three things, and, and, and they're all full. Activity, responsibility, and opportunity. Hmm. I, I, I read this article the other day. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than the million who won't survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, and the agony of torture, or the pangs of salvation, you're, you are ahead of 500 million people on the face of this earth. If you got money in the bank in your wallet and spare change in a dish some, somewhere, you are among the top 8% of the world's richest people. Wow. If your parents are still alive and still married, you're rare. I mean rare. I... Uh, Saw another thing that I read that I really liked. Uh, 55 years ago yesterday, I used it in a sermon illustration yesterday morning. There was a guy who lived in the back corner of a junkyard. I mean, poor as dirt. Guy came by and invited him to the revival. He said, I, I don't have anything to wear to a revival, to a church. You know, isn't that, isn't that, well, anyway, the guy said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll be back. I got some clothes you can wear. I'll be back. He took his clothes back over there to him. He took him and, and took him to the revival, sat with him during revival. That night, he was gloriously saved in the revival. And, and, and then about two weeks later, he jotted this down. 
He said, as the world looks upon me, as I struggle along, they say I have nothing, but they're so wrong. In my heart, I'm rejoicing how I wish they could see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. And he went on to say, now I know I'm not wealthy and these clothes, they're not new. I don't have much money, but Lord, I've got you. And to me, that's all that matters, though the world cannot see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. And then he says, there's a roof up above me. I have a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Well, I just wonder sometimes if we shouldn't just stop a little bit more and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. We need to be redeeming the time. We're wealthier than, than almost anyone on the face of this earth. And I tell you what, if you, if you can read tonight, you're ahead of two billion people that cannot read or write in this world. Man, we've been blessed. God says, I, you've got a responsibility not only to the Lord, but you've got a responsibility to those who are lost. And then he said, here's how the responsibility works. You need to redeem the time. You need to do everything you can to try to win lost people before it's eternally too late. Hmm. You know one of the things my wife and I do that, that 99% of the world doesn't get to do. I'll ask her. We'll, we'll, we, I can't eat before I preach. And she's in choir, so we'll, we'll eat about 8.30, 9 o'clock tonight. You know what I'll ask her? You want to go out and eat? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't put the pencil to it. If you go to where the cheap things are, the two of you can eat cheaper than what you can fix it at home. So I say, you want to go out to eat? You no, know, most people don't get to ask that question. You go over to Kenya, you don't worry about where you're going to eat out. There ain't nowhere to eat out. And you wouldn't want it if you were. Uh, and then we get in this big argument of where we're going to eat out. I know none of that ever happens to y'all. <laughs> but I tell you, one time we had a box of the, of the things. You know, Sonic's half price on Tuesday and and uh, the Mexican place is three ninety nine on Monday, and uh, or it may be I don't know. But you get all the sales there and put all of them in a box for that day, and then just reach in there and draw it. Say this is what we're going to eat. Most people don't get to do that. They don't get to do that, but we get to do that here. Most people they don't have a car to drive them to church. And they certainly don't have a church, anything like this. One of the nicest churches I ever preached at in Nairobi was almost built like this. It was a nice building. Had marble floors. And you know what kind of chairs it had? It had those white plastic chairs that you buy down here at Lowe's for $4.99. Whole auditorium filled up with it. I sat down in it the first day and went straight to the floor. Because <laughs> they're weak. <laughs> The walk, we got to walk the walk. Second thing, though, is the talk that describes our life. 
You see, it's not only measured by how we walk, but it ought to be how we talk. Now, usually we end up just the opposite of this. Uh, we, we talk about people just talking good, and then they don't act like they're supposed to. But in the Christian realm, we do a lot of talking that we don't ever seem to get fulfilled. So when we're walking, our talk needs to match what our walk is. Matthew twelve thirty four, Jesus said it like this, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart. Now, our walk is important, but our talk many times is just as important as our walk is. The pleasure of graceful, look at verse 6, graceful interaction. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Mm. Well, I preach longer here, but this is so much just for me. Uh, the, the word grace speaks of pleasantness, attractiveness, or charm. Uh, a, 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 a graceful spirit ought to rule our tongue. And sometimes that's not the way it is. In fact, I don't know. I'm just trying to catch myself. Sometimes I talk worse to my wife than I do anybody else. We'll be in a grocery store and I'll be about a half cocked because I'm walking around. She's got to touch everything. Now, it's not just, you know, it's even worse than that if you're in Dillard's or somewhere. But, and and, and, I, and she knows I'm aggravated and I'm, you know, and pushing that buggy around. About that time, we'll turn a buggy and I'll see one of y'all. And I'll say, hey, how y'all doing? And she'll mumble under her breath. Talk to them like you do me, preacher. <laughs> it ought to be graceful. It ought to have a graceful interaction. We, we ought to season what we say with grace and then a little bit of salt. Salt is good. Amen? If you've ever been on one of them no-salt diets, God love you. I, I, I pray for you. Uh, I, I don't want to be there. But uh, it's called tact. We, we need to use more tact. I need to be more, more tact, tactful. It, it's like it's foreign to believers. Uh, there, there's a lot of people. I, I was in a group of preachers yesterday that I'm telling you, I, I told them yesterday, I told them before I got up to preach. I said, you know, I came over here. I was, I spent an hour on the road from Nederland when it got out past eight o'clock talking on the phone to the city of Longview, trying to work out some details. I said, we need parking lots. We need buildings. We're out of all of those. But if I could learn to hear, if I could learn to preach like y'all preach, I wouldn't need any of that. Because people would fly out of here like a covey of quail. I never heard such thing in all my life. It, it, some of them preach as mean as a snake. I'm talking mean. Now, he's saying here, we ought, you know what I'm talking about, Brother Allen? I mean mean. We ought to have a graceful spirit about it. There ought to be some salt in there with it. That seasons it up. That makes it taste better. It makes it kind of go down better. Did, did, did I tell you all Sunday about the, the, the dirt cookies? You know, I, I didn't do that Sunday, did I? I, I? You know, this is a rough time for me. My mind is not, uh, is not what it used to be. I have to do my notes really specific, and if I get off of them, I forget where I am. And I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm going completely nuts altogether yet, but it's getting close. 
Uh, but I had it written down. I write it down. I still can't remember to do it. But I was thinking about with that Ugandan children's choir here. One of the first things I saw when I got off the airplane at, uh, in Nairobi, the first time we ever went, and we were downtown Nairobi, there was a lady there, and she was making dirt cookies. Now, she put a little flour in them, and she put a little salt in them, and just a touch of sugar, just enough. And she was packaging them up and putting them in a little baggie, and people were coming by and buying the dirt cookies because it had just enough flour and just enough salt in it where the kids who were so hungry could eat it and it would fill them up. And she wasn't trying to hide it. They all knew they were dirt cookies, but it would, it would be fulfilling to those kids. And I sat there and just, I, I mean, I, I just, just went over my mind. Mm. I mean, I, I got to have a special kind of Oreo. You know, I mean, I can't just eat any Oreo. It's got to have a special filling in it. Boy, we, we need to, to make sure that our interaction with others is a pleasant speech. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson uh, went to church one Sunday night, and he arrived back home. He wrote in his journal this entry. He said, I went to church tonight. Sad to say, I was greatly depressed. Well, I, I thought, dear God, don't let that happen here. Don't, I, I hope you don't get depressed when you come to church. Man, I, I, you know, this ought to be the time when we pump each other up. And we, and we worship the Lord, and he alone is worthy. Uh, but I want to tell you, it don't take very long to be around some Christians, and you can get depressed real quick. I mean, you can just get depressed. But that doesn't identify the child of God. Then he, he mentions the, the method of pleasant interaction, but then he talks about the purpose of it. Uh, speech, you know, will, will reflect one's uh, nationality or location. You know, uh, we, we refer to people from the north as Yankees, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, a good Yankee will speak with just kind of a brazen accent. I mean, they'll just tell you how it is. And you just, oh, well, they come from up north, so you just forget that. And then, of course, us Southerners, uh, we, we, we got such a, a draw. We, we're referred to as rednecks. Old Dr. Scott, good friend of mine, preached yesterday morning too. And he said, I've never seen as many rednecks in the one place in all my life is here. He said, but this year, we have three black necks to go along with all you rednecks. There were three blacks in the crowd. I thought, you know, I couldn't get away with saying that, but he got away with saying that. Uh, but uh, we, we, our speech identifies where we're from, uh, it, it, but it's also an index of one's character. Uh, our vocabulary, look at verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Hmm. Now, you know what? It comes down to a nutshell. What Paul is saying here is, is it all comes down to this one thing. You need to know what to say, and you need to know how to say it to every individual. And that's one of the problems with all of these different soul-winning uh, campaigns they've got and everything, is it's all like a, a, a marketing approach. Well, I want to tell you, everybody's not alike. 
You know, you need a little bit of discernment. When you're fixing to hack somebody off, you need to back off. That's what I was telling Don Witt. He don't, he don't have any discernment. He just blazes through. And I said, Don, this guy's getting mad. Have you ever seen a redneck mad? You know, I don't want to be around. Uh, so we've got to have discernment to know what to say and then know how to say it. Because what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that person's soul. So if you tick him off and he won't hear anybody else, man, you, you, you know, how it happens is, the, the, I know he that win a souls is wise, and we talk about being soul winners and all that, but we're really more uh, souls, uh, uh, sowers, seed sowers than anything else. I mean, we ought to be, and then when somebody sows a seed, somebody else comes along and waters the seed. And then somebody else, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lena asked me to go visit a guy uh, tomorrow or uh, the next day, whatever, uh, and he's, he's in just about bedridden. But I guarantee you, I, I felt my spirit was going to happen. She's already been sowing the seed and cultivating and watering it. And I'll get to go in just like it's fruit right on the bottom of the tree. And just pick it off. Now, I didn't do anything for that. Somebody watered and somebody sowed and somebody cultivated and spent a lot of time and a lot of heartache and a lot of praying before anybody ever got there to, 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 to harvest the seed. But that's how God works. So he's speaking here of giving a defense of our faith. Every one of us as Christians should be apologist. I had a uh, deacon down in Port Natchez one night, and I, I told him I was going to preach on the uh, apologetics uh, of a child of God, what we ought to be doing. And he mouthed off, you know, sometimes people don't need to say what's on their mind. They ain't got a lot, not enough left to, after they've said it to cover up anything. And he jumped up, Brother Vernon, and said, I don't think we ought to be apologizing to nobody. I said, that's not what apologetics is. Apologetics is being able to tell people, let me ask you, why are you here in a Baptist church on Wednesday night? Why are you here in a Baptist church, period? You know, you ought to be able to know. Now, it doesn't seem to matter to many people anymore, but I want to tell you, you mark it down. God has the necessary resources to bring everyone around. And when you start praying for people and you start ministering to people and the Holy Spirit starts working on that person and they get in trouble, you're going to be the first one they come to. You're going to be the very first one, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whether it's a family or what else. You're going to be the very first one. And you need to know why you're like you are. Why? Hmm. Well, all of this ties together. Oh, I got to get out of here. Let me, let me hit this last thing. <clears throat> you ever had anybody just come up to you and you just didn't know what to say? I mean, you had no idea what to say. Now, now you pray and the Holy Spirit will give you what, you what you need to say. And if he doesn't give you anything, you probably don't need to say nothing. <laughs> but many times we don't know what to say because the people who have confronted us know more about the Bible than we do ourselves. And they don't even believe in it. They don't even worship God. And yet many of them know more about it than we do ourselves. 
the last thing, he talks about the expectation of a faithful life. And he mentions 10 men here uh, uh, that, that are there. And each one of them uh, have a different uh, uh, ministry to them. Uh, and uh, he uh, that begins in verse 7, I guess. Uh, the 10 men, uh, verse 7, a man named Tychicus. And uh, he said, All my state, Tychicus, declare unto you who is beloved brother, faithful minister, faithful servant of the Lord. I sent to you the same purpose that he might know your state, comfort your hearts. So he's a committed one. His life speaks to us of the greatness uh, of small service surrendered for Christ. Uh, and then he talks about Onesimus uh, there in verse 9. Uh, Onesimus is the converted one. He's the slave that we read about over in Philemon. Uh, and now he's fled there, and he's fled to Rome, and he came in contact with the Apostle Paul. He was saved by hearing the gospel, and then he becomes Paul's uh, partner in the service. And then, uh, then we're mentioned to three men there, Aristarchus and Marcus and Justice, and uh, they, they receive the commandments. They're what you'd call the comforted ones. They become Paul's companions in sympathy and in service. And then in verse 12 and 13, there is Epaphras. Remember, he's the pastor of the church at Colossae. And uh, he's one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal. He's the crowned one. Uh, others, Demas is mentioned as a crowned one. Luke is mentioned as a, as a crowned one. Uh, and then Luke is mentioned here as the concerned one. Uh, it's believed that Luke was Paul's last uh, partner in prison. Uh, and he was given the honor and joy of ministering to the Apostle Paul in his last hours. And, uh, and then, of course, Demas, it's mentioned, reflects the changed one. We don't know a lot about Demas, uh, but we know uh, that uh, he did turn his back uh, on, uh, on Paul and the ministry. And then uh, verse 15 talks about Nymphus. Uh, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. When you see Nymphus, you think about a congratulated one. It looks like Nymphus was one of those guys that people looked up to. He was a great Christian man. He was outstanding, upstanding Christian. And, and the Scripture tells us that he had a house, in his, uh, had a church in his own house. And then finally, Archippus uh, in verse 16 and 17, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. He's the challenged one. Uh, Paul is sternly telling him here uh, that uh, there may have been some, some failure, there may have been some kind of faithlessness in his life, and Paul challenges him to take heed. And folks, that's what Paul is challenging us to do tonight. If there has been a time, and there is, because every one of us are sinners. Every one of us are sinners. Uh, the Bible says that he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, he's done that if we've done what he told us to do. If we're faithful, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But that's not where it stops. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't take it away from us. He simply looks at us and doesn't hold it into consideration. 
as if we had no sin because we're wearing the robe of the righteousness of God. Uh, we, we can't all do the same thing. I mean, if we did, uh, this would be a boring place. But I want to tell you something. The truth is, let's be honest. I know you're the Wednesday night crowd. You're the cream of the crop. I know that. We can't all do the same thing. But bless God, we ought to all be able to do something. There ought to be something. However small it is, uh, there ought to be something. Because there's no small things really in the kingdom of God. There's not any small thing. I go over to Eden Place and and uh, even over at Hawkins, I'll be there in the morning and, and I tell those people out up front, the greatest ministry you can have is that ministry of prayer, intercessory prayer. You're praying for people. Let me tell you, God answers prayer. That, that's what keeps people going. That's what happens. And in these next days, I'm going to need more prayer than you've got time to pray. I'm going to have a rotator cuff surgery on the 27th of December, he says it's so bad that I can't do anything for five to six months. Can't even lift a teaspoon. Now, I, I do everything with my right hand. I, 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 we were, had a preacher's banquet. Uh, they planned one for January, and I said, well, you know, one of y'all going to have to cut my steak up and feed it to me because I can't eat with my left hand. I guess I can. I mean, I guess I may have to learn. I don't know. Uh, but... Uh, I may just eat soup, you know, like they do at Dixie Stampede, just pick it up and drink it. But, uh, uh, man, I'm going to need a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. But you can do something. You can do something. Do, do you know, and I know you're, you're good at this, but sometimes, even on Sunday morning, if we're not careful, we only hug and, and speak with the ones that we know. Hey, we need to, before you ever move out of your seat, you ought to just do a little survey around. Look for somebody that might look like they've got a problem or something and make a beeline over there to them. Because you you can encourage people. You can encourage people. These ladies right here are an encouragement to me. You know, you know how long it takes me to get ready? Not not three minutes. I mean, I can run in and out of a shower. I don't have to worry about combing my hair. I, don't have, I mean, I'm in, I'm in and I'm out. I'm gone. I bet you some of these ladies, they spend an hour and a half, two hours getting ready. Well, I know you don't, but you, you, you can tell. But. <laughs> uh, they, they, you know, I, I used to look at these ladies. Uh, uh, Miss, uh, mm, worked for the telephone company that was here so many years. Uh, well, I, I, my mind's gone. Yeah, it's that well. Yeah, she worked for Southwestern Bell. She lived over at Page Place. Miss Shirley, you got a good mind. She's always in a wheelchair. Who? AT and T? No, no. Anyway, uh, it took it took her. I don't even know how she lived by herself, and yet she never missed that bus coming to church. Never, never missed that bus. Hey, we have been blessed. Find something to do for the glory of God. Amen. Father, thank you tonight for letting us uh, worship you and praise you. I pray tonight that, Lord, your, your Holy Spirit would just guide us in what you want each one of us to do. Every one of us in this room are different tonight. But you've got a, 
a, a place for every one of us. And then, Father, help us to learn to be gentle and patient and speak words of, of kindness and gratitude. And yet, at the same time, not, not lying to people. God, we can't, we can't let people live in sin and then just continually tell them they're, they're okay, they're okay. That's not okay. But, Lord, we, we've got to do it in a loving way. That, that, that Lord, we get redeeming the time, doing everything we can with, uh, with all possibilities to get them to come to Jesus Christ. Thank you again for your blessings on us, and I pray you'd bless the rest of this week, that you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's not on the prayer list, but Otis uh, Gerald, his daughter, was taken to the hospital yesterday, and I don't know Anybody know uh, Stephanie? Uh, I'm not sure what it was. He left uh, camp, though. But pray for Otis Gerald. He's pastor at Pine Forest Baptist Church. Pray for his uh, daughter, Stephanie. All right? Don't forget your tickets to Dickens. They're, they're going fast. Friday night is almost sold out. And uh, Saturday and Sunday are getting in that direction, too. All right? God bless you. We'll see you this Lord's Day. Saturday.